So John 15 is where we are this morning, and the big question of John 15, and really the big question of chapters 14 through 16 of John, is this question. How can you, if you're a follower of Jesus, how can you have a relationship with someone who is no longer physically present? How can you have a relationship with Jesus when he is absent? You can't see him. You can't give him a big hug. You can talk to him via prayer. But he's, as he says in John 14, going to be with his father. His disciples in the Bible were worried about that. They were concerned when Jesus said, I'm about to leave you. I'm going back home to be with my father. They didn't know what he was talking about. And so John 14, 15, and 16 is called the farewell discourse of Jesus. And it's intended to be words from Jesus to his disciples then and to you now of comfort, words of hope, words of instruction, because Jesus knows what's often true in each of our lives if we're Christians. And it's this, oftentimes you feel disconnected from God. Isn't that true? Oftentimes you feel like there's a lot of static in your relationship with your heavenly father. Oftentimes I think that we're confused about how Jesus actually helps us. And maybe even about if being a Christian or a follower of Jesus actually makes any real meaningful difference or contribution to our daily lives. If we're honest, I think those are all things, whether you're a Christian recently or you've been a Christian for decades, that we struggle with at times. I mean, just think of your prayer life. Doesn't your prayer life often feel cold and lifeless and really, really difficult? If the answer to that is yes, then I'm glad you're being honest with yourself. But welcome to Christianity, in a sense. Jesus knows that those are things we're going to struggle with from time to time. All of these thoughts are really getting at the question of how can we know that we're connected to Jesus, really, in this life? That's the question Jesus is answering in large part in the farewell discourse of John. And it's an important question for you and for me to consider as well. And Jesus helps us in these verses. He helps us understand how to abide, how to rest in him, even though we can't physically see him, even though he's not physically present with us anymore. We've been making our way through John, and this chapter gives us the final I am statement of Jesus in John's gospel. He says here, I am the true vine. And it tells us once again, who Jesus really is and why Jesus has come into the world, because that's John's purpose. We see it every single week that John wrote this gospel 2000 years ago so that its readers and its hearers will believe. So John has an agenda and we have an agenda. We want you this morning to believe If you're not a believer right now, or if you've been a believer for a long time, this gospel is not written just for you to pursue your own intellectual curiosities. This gospel was written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that by believing, John 20 tells us, you may have life, abundant life and eternal life in the name of Jesus. So that's Jesus's agenda for you and for me this morning. In the next few minutes, as we continue to make our way through John's gospel. So here we are in John 15. Let me summarize the big picture point like this. Here's what the main idea is. An abiding connection with Jesus brings fruit. An abiding connection with Jesus brings fruit. And there's two questions we're going to ask of this text. First, what makes the connection with Jesus? And then second, 
what marks the connection with Jesus. Okay, so that's where we're headed. So first, let's think about the question, what makes the connection with Jesus? Since the big idea is that we need to be connected with Jesus, and sometimes we don't feel connected with Jesus, even if we have faith in Jesus, we need to ask, what makes the connection in the first place? And that's part of what Jesus is getting at there in verse 1, when he says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser, and everyone that believes in me is a branch. Every branch of mine bears fruit, and I want it to bear fruit more fruit. So Jesus compares himself to a vine or to a tree trunk, you might say, and all of the people that are connected to him to branches. So he assumes that his people are connected to him. And so the question is, how do people get connected to Jesus? And to answer that, you've got to understand why Jesus uses the image here that he does. It's not like Jesus is just walking down the street one day with his disciples and looks at a vine and says, that's a good idea. I'm like that vine and you're like branches. No, Jesus is being very intentional in his usage of the vine and branches imagery. As you might expect, this imagery comes from the Old Testament, which would have been Jesus's Bible. And in the Old Testament, vine or vineyard imagery is common imagery, and it always, in every case, refers in the Old Testament to the same thing. It refers to Israel. That is the Old Testament people of God. And also, not only does it refer to Israel in every single instance in the Old Testament, but it refers to Israel in a negative way, or it has a bad connotation. That is, every time vineyard imagery is used in the Old Testament, it's saying that Israel has not borne the fruit, Israel has not produced as a vine in the way that God has called her to produce. Let me just give you a couple of examples from the prophets. Listen to Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is, what? The house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he, God, looked for justice, but behold, what he saw was bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, he saw an outcry. Another example from another prophet, Jeremiah chapter 2. God says, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed, How then, Israel, have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? So Jesus' disciples, when they hear Jesus use this vine language, would have likely known that he's referring to the people of Israel, to the Old Testament people of God. And then when Jesus says, I am the true vine, what they're hearing is that Jesus is saying, I am the real, I am the true Israel. Jesus is saying, I have come to do what the people of God have always failed to do. He's saying, I have come to obey the Lord with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. I have come to love my neighbor as myself. I have come to be a blessing through the na- for the nations through my sacrificial service. Jesus saying, I am the true vine, is Jesus saying, I have come to fulfill all of God's promises to his people that anyone can receive by repentance and faith. Jesus is saying, I am the vine who will actually grow branches, who will actually produce fruit. I'm the vine that God will be pleased with and that will produce. 
So Jesus, in saying, I am the true vine, is connecting himself with the story of the Old Testament. And he's saying, where Israel has persistently and routinely failed, I will not fail. I will do what God has called really all humanity to do, but they can't do because of sin. So Jesus is the true vine. Now, what in the world does that mean for you? How is that relevant for your life now? And how was it relevant for the disciples? Well, here's what it means. Jesus is saying that the way to get back to God, the way to become a part of God's family is to connect to the true vine. Jesus is telling these first century Jewish people, your ethnicity and your heritage do not by themselves make you a part of God's true family. In fact, your people, Israel, have repeatedly received God's judgment, just like those prophets were talking about, for their failure to bear fruit. Being a physical descendant of Abraham, a Jew, does not automatically connect you to the vine, Jesus is saying. That's important for you and for me to hear. The connection that we need to make with Jesus is not a connection that comes as a result of our heritage It's not a connection that comes via inheritance. And it's definitely not a connection that any of us can earn. The connection that's made with Jesus only comes by believing. By believing into Jesus. By believing that he is indeed who he said he was. The Son of God. The Word made flesh. By believing that Jesus died for our sins to be forgiven by taking our guilt on himself at the cross. And by believing that in Jesus' resurrection, he is the Lord of all creation. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Savior. By believing and embracing with everything that you are that truth, you get connected. Connected to the vine. Remember I said at the beginning that John has an agenda. And part of the question that needs to be asked at this point, given John's agenda, is have you believed that about Jesus? Have you connected to the vine that is Jesus by faith? Because that is the only way back to God. We saw last week, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's important to ask yourself that question because... One of the major misunderstandings about what it means to know Jesus in our age is very similar to the major misunderstanding that many had in the days of John. And that is that we are somehow closer to God or more likely to be connected to God as a result of our heritage or nationality. But the truth is that the only thing that connects anyone to God is by believing into Jesus. You must believe in Christ. Just because you were born into a family of Christians or born in a country that's been influenced by Christianity or because you were baptized as a young child or because you have grown up in the church does not, it does not automatically get you connected to the vine. What makes the connection is trust. It is resting in Jesus's finished work for you in his death and in his resurrection. It's believing into him. So have you made that connection to Jesus by faith? That's what makes the connection between the branches and the vine. It's faith, uniting yourself to him in that way. So secondly, what marks the connection? 
In other words, let's frame it like this. So if you claim to be connected to Jesus by faith, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, the next question is, how can you be sure? How can you be sure you're really connected? Especially if sometimes we feel disconnected, as we talked about at the beginning. Jesus here is telling us what the markers are the markers of a real relationship with him are. And so these are really important verses. A number of years ago, Marianne and I uh, went to a church in Philadelphia that we attended sporadically when we lived there called 10th Presbyterian Church. It's in Center City, Philadelphia. And their pastor is a man named Liam Gallagher. And he preached a sermon on this text on John 15. And I still remember part of the sermon. It was a great sermon, and he uses this illustration that I'm about to use that stuck with me. So this is not mine. I'm stealing this from him. All rights reserved on his part. Um, and here's the illustration. He asked this question, and I'm going I'm to ask it to you. He asked, are you a real branch connected to the vine, or are you a Christmas tree ornament? Christmas tree ornaments get attached to trees around Christmas time, but their attachment is purely artificial. Real branches are connected to the tree in a vital way, in a life-giving way. And the difference is essential. Because some Christians, or some who claim to be Christians, would think they're connected to Jesus, but their connection is really purely artificial. They're Christmas tree ornaments hanging on a tree and not branches deriving all of their life from the tree. So how do you know if you're a Christmas tree ornament Christian or if you're a real branch Well, there's two markers in these verses, two ways to know. And the first is pruning. Look at verse two. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, the father takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, the father does what? Prunes. He prunes or he cuts back that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus says here, that God cares for the vine and for the branches, and God seeks to increase the ability of the branches to produce fruit by cutting back the branches or by pruning the branches. Now, some of you might have green thumbs and might be gardeners, and so you might understand this. But let me ask, what is pruning like? Pruning is painful. My mom had a garden in our backyard growing up. And she had rose bushes and she had vegetables and she had flowers. And I would sometimes watch her do her work on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon in the garden. And she would trim back the rose bushes. And I remember vividly telling my mom, Mom, you are going to kill that rose. You're putting that rose to death. I mean, you're trimming back way too much. There's no way that rose is going to survive. And my mom would tell me, Listen, if I don't prune this bad boy back as far as possible, then it's not going to flower and flourish when the season for that comes. You understand the image? The fruitless branches are not pruned. God has no interest in pruning Christmas tree ornaments. God is interested in pruning branches so that they will produce more fruit. And pruning is not a fun experience. The sharp knife cuts away at the branch and gets rid of everything that is not useful for fruit bearing. You see what Jesus is saying into your life here? If you are really connected to Jesus, the vine, 
you are going to experience God's divine pruning. And it's going to be painful. He's going to cut away everything in your life that is hindering you from bearing fruit for Jesus. Ask yourself, in what ways is God pruning me right now? Perhaps he's allowing you to struggle for a time with serious temptation and sin and forcing you to face the consequences of those sins. Maybe you're just sick, physically sick, or dealing with physical decay. Your body's breaking down and getting old, or you have some sort of disease that no one knows what's wrong with you. Maybe you're just swamped and overwhelmed in your work, and it's just a highly stressful and anxious situation all the time. Maybe your family is challenging you profoundly. Kids, grandkids, parents, extended family issues. Listen, whatever trials or hardships or pains you are enduring right now are the pruning shears of God going to work on you. John Newton uh, wrote Amazing Grace. And he also wrote another very well-known hymn. Well, it's actually not well-known at all. Amazing Grace is well-known. This is a little-known hymn called I Asked the Lord. And uh, some of you might know that hymn. It's about um, how Christians grow. And I want to read you a couple of lines from this hymn because it makes this point well. Here's how it goes. Newton says, and this is verse 1, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. So how does God answer that? Here's what Newton says. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell consume my soul in every part. And then in the later stanza, we hear God saying these words, these inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free, to break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou may seek thou all in me. You see the point? Christmas tree ornaments don't receive the pain of pruning. Only real branches do. So the pain in your life as a Christ follower, the hurt of sanctification in your life is very often God helping you live a life that is more fruitful. One of the horrible false teachings in the church in our age is that suffering is a sign of God's displeasure. That's from the pit of hell and wicked Suffering is almost always not a sign of God's disfavor. Suffering in your life is a sign of God's favor. Suffering in your life is a sign that God is at work using the hard things in your life to prune you, to cut back all that is fruitless, to make you more like Jesus for his glory. And you need to know this. You need to hear what Jesus is saying. There is not a single stroke of his divine pruning knife that is unintended or accidental. There's not a single event in your life, there's not a single instance of difficulty that is not for your good and for your ultimate increase in fruitfulness. One marker that you're really connected is pruning. The second marker is abiding. Abiding. In verses 4, 5, and 6, Jesus uses that word seven times in three verses. And abiding, I think a great way to think about abiding is to make your home. When you abide in Jesus, you make your home in Jesus. 
I think about some of you young moms who walk around with little babies and, you know, you've got these contraptions. I don't know the proper word for them, but they're attached to you. And the baby's snuggled up and seems pretty comfortable and is taking a nap, just nuzzled up right next to mom. And I think, man, that baby is abiding in mama. That baby is completely and utterly dependent. That baby feels totally at home with mom in this moment. That's the idea of abiding. And Jesus says one way you know that you're really connected is when you are abiding in Jesus. Look at verse 4. Abide in me, and I also abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then very bluntly in verse 5, apart from me, you can do a little bit. No? Apart from me, you can do 1%. Apart from me, you can do jack squat. That's my translation. Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying that you know you are really connected to him by faith when you are conscious of your complete dependence on him for everything. Growing as a Christian and gaining assurance of your connection with God is primarily marked by a continuous dependence on Jesus Christ. And a glorious, glorious piece of application here that can be real in your life right now is that growing in fruitfulness as a follower of Jesus is largely, largely about growing in our awareness of our need for Jesus. Listen, the mature Christian is the one who more and more believes that apart from Jesus, he or she can do nothing. The mature Christian is the one who hears Jesus say that and is like, amen. Amen, Jesus. I believe that. I know that's true of me. And the mature Christian knows that because weakness is the channel that allows us to access grace. So do you see your own neediness? That's the question. The upside-down way of God is that the most fruitful members of his kingdom are not the people who go, 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 and do, 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 and work, 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 and strive, strive, strive. Rather, it is those who trust, 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 and lean, lean, lean into Jesus. The measure of our strength is the measure of our abiding. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you conscious of your dependence Is that something that marks your life? If it is, how would you know? I'll tell you the main way you know. You might not like it, but this is the truth. The main way you know if you're abiding in Christ is seen in the character of your prayer life. Those who aren't abiding, Christmas tree ornaments, have little need to pray. When they look at their hearts, and they rarely do that, but when they do... They seldom see jealousy and greed. They're barely aware of their impatience. Instead, they're frustrated by all the people that keep slowing them down and getting in their way. Christmas tree ornaments are quick to give advice and they're slow to listen. There's no complexity to their worlds because everything is very simple. But abiding Christians, on the other hand, branches in the vine feel less mature on the inside than they really are. They're keenly aware that they can't do anything without Jesus. They can't raise their kids without Jesus. Give me a break. They can't have a healthy marriage without Jesus. They can't heal their own wounds without Jesus. And so they go to God for help all the time. Those who abide pray reflexively. 
Paul Miller uh, wrote a beautiful book on prayer, and it's called A Praying Life. And let me read you something he says. He writes this. If we think we can do life on our own, we will not take prayer seriously. Prayer is simply not important to many Christians because Jesus is already an add-on. Ooh, ouch. The gospel, God's free gift of grace in Jesus, only works when we realize we don't have it all together. And the same is true for prayer. The very thing we are allergic to, our helplessness, is what makes prayer work. It works because we are helpless. We can't do life on our own. Do you believe that about yourself? I mean, really? If you do, it shows up in your prayer life. It doesn't mean you're a prayer master on day one. But it means that's something you're yearning to grow in and that's showing up because prayer becomes a lifeline of dependence upon God, not a religious item somewhere to check off on your spiritual to-do list. So how can we have a real and conscious relationship with Jesus even though he's not present? Well, John tells us, Jesus tells us, we do it by abiding in him and therefore bearing fruit. We do it by more and more exercising our dependence, not our independence. We do it by trusting, by believing, by resting and therefore bearing fruit. And it takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime to understand, but over time it makes all the difference. It's the difference between a Christmas tree ornament and a true branch. One is connected to the root vitally in a life-giving way. The other is artificially tacked on and can be pulled off very easily. Um, Across the street from our block is a little neighborhood park, and there's a playground and a basketball court, and there's a good bit of wooded area right next door to our park. And so sometimes I'll take our kids over there and we'll hang out and play, and the kids will want to go play in the trees and um, build forts and do all that sort of fun stuff. And oftentimes, uh, the kids will want to grab a hold of branches and swing out over the small little creek or gully that borders the park. And uh, as I watch them do this, I try not to get too anxious. But I'm watching what kind of branches they're swinging on, right? As any parent would. I mean, if the branch looks like I could snap it like this, it's probably not a good idea for my nine-year-old to go Tarzan on it. But if the branch looks lively and rooted and connected to a tree that's alive and there's things growing on it and if there's some green there, swing away, right? In many ways, there's always things swinging back and forth in our lives. (laughs) And the question is, what is going to hold you and keep you connected to the tree that is Jesus? Are, are you a branch that's going to crumble when things get hard, or are you a branch that is bearing fruit and can bear the weight of the pain of this life? Well, the answer isn't be a stronger branch. The answer is rest in the vine. Rest in the root. Rest in the tree because he is strong for you. That's how you know. That's how you relate to Jesus now, even though he's not physically present, by believing through the power of the Spirit, by abiding, by resting by trusting. May that be the case with us today. Let's pray.